You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Man, getting into the latest about Fauciism here on the show in just a moment. Freedom is under so much assault these days, and you really want to do what you can to show your solidarity with your fellow Americans who still believe in freedom, still believe in patriotism and the flag. And that means actually flying flags these days. That's right, American flags, folks. We all should have one in our home somewhere, outside, inside. I've got one. You should too. But where are you going to get a flag that's top quality? That's Allegiance Flags role, my friends. Allegiance Flag Supply started because American flags are flying all over the place, but they were getting tangled and mildewed and shredded after just a, a few months. Well, we've searched high and low for the best possible flag, and that's Allegiance Flag Supply. They're made in the USA, which is a bedrock foundational precept of their business. Okay, the American flag should be made here in the States should be made with only the highest quality American source materials. It's much easier and cheaper to import, but a big part of what Allegiance flag is all about is made in America, my friends. Sold here in America, too. They've also saved seamstresses' jobs. That's a big part of this. Seamstresses were a generational talent passed down from parents, from their grandparents, and many of them saw their jobs disappear in recent decades. Here in the States, that's because they had it outsourced to foreign countries. Well, guess what? Now you've got quality craftsmanship with Allegiance flags done here in the States, creating jobs for seamstresses and making sure you're getting the best flag you can fly anywhere. Get one just in time for Memorial Day. You can do it right now. The offer code is BUCK. That's 10% off your order at showallegiance.com. Go to this website, showallegiance.com. In time for Memorial Day, you can get a flag right now. Show your pride, your patriotism for this great country. Just use promo code BUCK for 10% off your order and go to showallegiance.com. That website is showallegiance.com. Give everyone a sense of what the country is going to look like next Mother's Day. Well, George, I hope that next Mother's Day we're going to see a, a dramatic difference than what we're seeing right now. I believe that we will be about as close to back to normal as we can. And there's there's some conditions to that, George. We've got to make sure that we get the overwhelming proportion of the population vaccinated. When that happens, the virus doesn't really have any place to go. There aren't a lot of vulnerable people around. And where there are not a lot of vulnerable people around, you're not going to see a surge. You're not going to see the kinds of numbers we see now. Next Mother's Day? I mean, what is Dr. Fauci smoking? Because I, I might have to try some of it. We might be at normal next Mother's Day. I, I've, I told you all along that this was going to be the way this goes. That just when you think you're starting to get freedom back, just when you think your life is going to be in your hands once again, and you don't have to constantly live under the thumb of the most neurotic and anxious among among us, right? You'd have Fauci come back out and tell you, you know, you know, maybe I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but over the course of the next six to six hundred months, we could see a diminution of viral load passage 
based on the parabolic data that I'm seeing here of, you know, basically maybe at some point you'll not have to do all this crazy nonsense. Very far in the future, though, if almost everybody gets vaccinated and I reserve the right to move the goalposts on that, too. You just have to say to yourself, when is this too much? When when do people finally realize, oh, it is happening. And now it's very clear to me, having spent some time in Tennessee over the weekend, just to have a, a, a weekend out of New York City, took the snow princess. We, you know, we just had a nice time. And I, I'm, I'm heading down to Florida in a few weeks. Uh, same thing. I just I just want to get out and and be in in states where they're embracing freedom because you have this real disparity now. I mean, it's it's all around you. New York is still living in fear. And I know that they'll say, oh, but, you know, the the capacity is going back up in a couple of weeks. Not really. They're going to have the six foot rule. I mean, they're leaving all these little bureaucratic, nonsensical, arbitrary things in place. And for those of you who live and God bless, because you're lucky, those of you who live in Texas, those of you who live in Florida, those of you who live in States with governors that are not insane are already saying, Buck, what are you even talking? Why are you even talking about this, Buck? What's the big problem? Well, because you got half the country basically being dragged through the Fauciite absurdity, and the other half now is not. I, I'm, I'm like, don't leave us behind, guys. Don't don't let us get left on the battlefield here. But I know it's the people who live in the blue states. We're suffering the consequences of that. We're suffering the consequences of of uh, putting so much power in the hands of bureaucrats and idiots. And this is why Fauci saying next Mother's Day, I mean, he, that would be next May, folks. And he didn't even say we'll be normal. He said we'll be pretty close to in the approximate universe of something in the general vicinity of a number that we could call normal, maybe. You know, no, no, 100 percent normal. There is no basis upon which to say that we will be anything other than unmasked together, you know, at, at sporting events and concerts and bars, breathing on each other, spilling beer on each other by accident or on purpose. Depends on who somebody's rooting for. There is no basis for that. But then there's the Fouch. And then there's the Biden administration. And they're not done using all this stuff. They haven't gotten everything they want. They have reordered the circuitry of society's brain here. We all just obey like a bunch of little hamsters that want to get a pellet or want to, you know, get the little water feeder thing they have in hamster cages. We, We just do what we're told, no matter how stupid it is. I was on planes over the weekend obviously if we're going to fly out of state multiple times and i'm just sitting here like they're talking to us all like we're toddlers this is so dumb they've really now taken it to heart i've flown a few times in recent weeks where it's okay we know you're going to unmask to drink or eat but you know don't take too long what i just want to tell them to shut the you know what up don't take too long a reasonable amount of time to eat or drink the moment that, you know, you break the seal with your mask, you're breathing that virus out into the air. I mean, this whole thing is so dumb. And I understand it for those of you that live in 
in those uh, more sane states, you I, I, I need you to understand the federal government's not giving this up. And so even if you're not dealing with this day to day, we're going to have this hangover of Fauci tyranny for years. And, and so every time you fly, every time you go into a federal building, every time you go into a big box store, that's a national chain because of legal concerns. You know, people keep saying, oh, we'll do what small businesses want. Well, the federal government sets the liability policies, for example, um, when it comes to a federal chain and uh, what you can be sued for. I mean, you know, they, they could have made it so we have far less uh, covid Get ready for all the covid lawsuits that are and they're already happening. But you're going to see a lot more of that. The, the big box stores, the, the federal government property, anything that involves crossing state lines, anything that involves flying they're They're not letting this stuff go. And then there was the real. Piece de la resistance of Fauciite lunacy. The piece de la resistance, the Fauci would say of, well, maybe just get ready for, like, some masks forever. That's right. This is going to be a thing. And you may say, Buck, it's not my problem. I'm not going to wear one. You, it, unless we take this head on, they're going to have, there are going to be people who feel self-righteous telling you, um, excuse me, could you mask up because it's flu season? Yeah. Play two. But is the mask going to be something we have with us in a seasonal aspect? You know, that's quite possible. I think people have gotten used to the fact that wearing masks, clearly, if you look at the data, diminishes respiratory diseases. We've had practically a non-existent flu season this year, merely because people were doing the kinds of public health things that were directed predominantly against COVID-19. The Australians during their winter, same thing. They had almost no flu, largely due to the kinds of things, including mask wearing. So it is conceivable that as we go on a year or two or more from now, that during certain seasonal periods, when you have respiratory-borne viruses like the flu, people might actually elect to wear masks to diminish the likelihood that you'll spread these respiratory-borne diseases. Oh, there's so much here. So much. First of all, if we had a real press corps, which we do not, if we had actual journalists, which which we do not, they would ask the question, well, why you're saying we had basically zero flu? Flu is a virus. Why did we have zero flu? But the worst covid numbers we've ever had simultaneously. And then people say, oh, because it's more contagious. Okay, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of times more contagious than the flu. That's interesting. Because you had enormous surge in COVID and very little in the flu. And the answers they're giving you for this are obviously insufficient. They're obviously not telling you the truth or they don't know the answer. But there's so much here. Uh, Mask up for why didn't we? People like me at the beginning of this a year ago were saying, and you know this, why did we never mask up for the flu? People die from flu every year. And, and they were saying, well, let's shut up. You're a flu, bro. This is different. We're not saying do it forever. Just for two weeks. Just for two weeks. Now it's, yeah, actually mask up forever. At least during the flu season. And you might say, well, Buck, that's only going to be, oh, no. Oh, no. They're going to try to, 
you've got a Democrat administration and a Democrat controlled federal government. So guess what? They're going to try to find ways to make this policy in as many places as they can. The mask is the Biden Harris MAGA hat of this administration, right? They, they, that is absolutely what has happened here. This has become a political symbol for people. It is no longer for millions and millions of Americans about, especially as they're vaccinated, they've already had it, about protecting them. It is about, look at what team I'm on. This, the mask is now a symbol for millions of political tribalism. You walked out to the podium with your mask on. Why do you choose to wear a mask so often when you're vaccinated and you're around other people who are vaccinated? Because I'm worried about you. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. Why, why am I wearing the mask? Because when we're inside, it's still good policy to wear the mask. That's why. When I'm outside, and the problem is, lots of times I walk away from this podium, you notice I forget to put my mask back on because I'm used to not wearing it outside. Nope, it's not good policy. This is a fixation now. This is a neuroses. That's right. We are. We've heard what the, the first of all, the CDC is full of overly cautious bureaucrat dumbasses. Start with that. But even the CDC has said there is no reason for Joe Biden to be wearing a mask outside. But he says, well, that's good policy. You know, what if you come up to me and I'm going to, you know, I'm still going to wear a mask. No, no. Mask. The mask is now an emotional security blanket for libs. I have to mask up if you're vaccinated and you're still wearing a mask anywhere, anywhere you're being absurd indoors or outdoors. That's the truth. It's absurd. Uh, now, a lot of you would say, Buckle, what have you what have you been about people? And there, there, there's a whole other argument that I don't even get into here, which is they have no proof whatsoever that the vaccine they do not know as a matter of medical data. They do not know that vaccinated people are less likely to get and transmit the disease than someone like me who has 100% proven on the record had COVID. They do not know that. They are making it up as they go along. They don't want to tell you that because they want control. They want you to do what they, what they want. But there is no data set to, to th- that proves. I mean, they can interpret as much as they want. There's no data set that proves that. Do what you're told or else. This is what we're always up against. Do what, do what you're told or the federal government is going to come down on you, or, or Facebook will come down on you. The gatekeepers of big tech will decide that they need to make an example of you. Mask forever. I saw this coming all along. Why did I see this coming all along? Why is this not surprising to me? Well, because I understand the nature of the left. I understand how they think. I understand how they approach things. And that's why... The they've already set it up with a narrative that because we don't have full vaccination, it's now our fault again. You see, the the insufficiency of their policy is the fault of the people, just like it was on masking, just like it was on social distancing. Here's the Fouch on how, you know, your most important thing of all is you got to get vaccinated you gotta be a guy that goes out there and gets a va- and gets va- and, and then even still wear a mask forever play three 
Well, the fact that we have vaccines right now, Chuck, is really a game changer. I mean, if we get, which we will, to the goals that the president has has established, namely, if we get 70 percent of the people vaccinated by the 4th of July, namely one single dose and even more thereafter, you may see blips. But if we handle them well, it is unlikely that you'll see the kind of surge that we saw in the late fall and the early winter. That's the reason, Chuck, why we 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 plead with people to get vaccinated because the larger proportion of the population that's vaccinated, the less likelihood that in a season like the coming fall or winter, you're going to see a significant surge. There's no doubt about that. That's the reason why vaccinations are so important. That's the wild card that we have now mm-hmm. that we didn't have last fall or last winter. Uh, what about the talk of boosters? Remember, the way that they've justified making people like me who have had many of you listening who have had COVID, the way that they have justified it, uh, making us get vaccinated, even though we've had the virus, is they say, well, your antibodies are only detectable for a few months. Right. Their arguments on this are all crap, by the way. I mean, when you look at this, there's T cell immunity, there's antibodies. There's no such thing as perfect immunity ever from anything in society. But they're making this argument. Oh, well, there have been a few breakthrough cases. It's incredibly rare incredibly rare Um, but they say well antibodies fade from natural immunity so you got to get the vaccine as well antibodies fade from the vaccine too you've already seen news stories about boosters you've already seen people start but they don't want to talk about it too much right now they just want they want to keep you on the hamster wheel whatever fauci says whatever the fauci consensus is it's just for your health it's just for your safety The whole world has turned into an airplane run by idiot tyrants where we're constantly being told, put your phone in airplane mode, make sure your seatbelt is on. Uh, The chance of you actually getting injured on an airplane because you don't have your seatbelt on is tiny. The chance of you interfering with the airline uh, airline communications because you forget, which people do all the time to put your cell phone in airplane mode is infinitesimal. And yet, how many times do you hear, please put your phone in airplane mode, please put your seat back upright, please put your seatbelt on, all the time. And we're all in this confined, highly controlled environment where we have to comply or else Democrats want to turn America into a, you know, a, a Spirit Airlines flight from hell where we're all constantly being harassed by power mad airline attendants who are just spewing this garbage. We all know, all right, just, you know, ease up, okay? The plane's not going to crash because of airplane mode. Oh, no, I have a laptop in my lap. Oh, the plane, if it goes down. If the plane goes down, the laptop that I have in my lap is not going to make any difference to anybody. I got news. I got news for them. Oh, no, what will we do? But that's that's the... The shaping of our mindset that the Democrats are going into. They want us all to obey whatever they say, no matter how stupid, no matter how absurd. They want us to just bend the knee and say, yes, sir, sir, yes, sir, whatever you want. They love this. This is the Democrat collectivist mindset encapsulated. This is now the America they want us all to be living in. Do what you're told. The experts know better. Do what you're told. Don't ask questions. Don't ask for proof. Don't stand up for your rights. I mean, it's for for Democrats. Fauciism is 
is the the pathway to utopia. Just put some old grandfatherly guy on TV who, you know, is an expert. I'm just here for your safety. I'm just here for your health. And you do everything he says. And if you don't, you're a monster who wants people to die. Total control. Benevolent Stalinism is what the Biden administration offers you when it comes to COVID. Benevolent Stalinism. You must do this. You have no choice. Shut up or else. You're a murderer if you don't comply. But it's all for your own good. It's all so that everybody's safe and everyone. Don't pay attention to the fact that over 600,000 people died from COVID, even though we did all this crazy nonsense they told us we had to do. Don't pay attention to that. Let's talk about the fact that the pace of vaccinations is slowing down. Um, some of that is because of access, as you note, but some of it is because of vaccine skepticism. Uh, it's now at 2.1 million doses a day, down almost 40 percent from its peak last month. Who are the key groups of Americans you're focusing on targeting right now? Young Americans, Republicans, rural Americans, and how are you targeting them? Well, sort of all of the above, Jake. I mean, what what's happened is we've gotten to 58 percent faster than we expected. So we're entering a new phase where access is really important and building confidence is really important. So that's what we're focused on. And I'd say it's all of the above. We want everyone to get vaccinated and we have enough supply for all adult Americans to get vaccinated. We just want to make it easier and easier for people to get vaccinated. And for those who do have questions about efficacy or about safety, the three vaccines, the three authorized vaccines are all very safe and very effective. So we want people to be able to turn to their uh, to their trusted leader in their neighborhood, their doctor, their faith leader, to get information about the vaccines, to build vaccine confidence so all Americans get vaccinated. Notice that fake Tapper only named a few groups. Are, are, those, are those groups, you know, is that going to offend anybody in the CNN audience? The young, first of all, the young people understandably have vaccine hesitancy because they are at an entirely acceptable risk themselves for this virus. So there's that, right? I mean, they they feel like they're not worried about it. if you're 20 years old, your chance of dying from this is less than your chance of dying from the flu. And you say, oh, what about it? But, but it's for other people. Well, other people can get vaccinated and that should be good enough. But fake tapper avoids talking about minorities who are vaccine hesitant. I wonder why. Why, Jake? Why? Why wasn't there a you know, there's vaccine hesitancy among minorities, too, because Jake's a pandering Democrat lib fake news purveyor and this is what he does he he pretends that he's just asking questions but he's pandering to the cnn audience at home you know doesn't want to talk about the fact that there is vaccination hesitancy in communities of color the way the media deals with it, you can see there's all kinds of news stories about it but the way the media deals with it is oh well that's an access issue no there's actually a lot of minorities out there that just like there are a lot of other non-minorities out there who are saying they don't want to get it that, that's just the truth. So, but he won't, doesn't want to say that. Oh, that's, that's not allowed. Jake Tapper would never, never do such a thing. Uh, I, we all know they want everybody vaccinated. And, but I'm the one that sits here and says, there's a lesson that we should have learned during all of this. And the lesson is giving into what they want does not mean you get your freedom back. And this has been one of the enormous uh, one of the enormous blunders 
and stretching even back into the the Trump administration era on this when Fauci was given way too much sway. I know people I know no one likes when I criticize anything about the Trump administration. Everything Trump did was perfect. Some people tell me, no, guys, I'm sorry. Okay, Fauci was a nightmare under Trump, a nightmare, probably cost Trump the election. But you know, they let him run all over the place and do what he did. And, uh, you know, I, I think they should have they should have just pulled the bandit off and fired the guy. But there's a there's a fair point to be made that would somebody have been, you know, is, is Rochelle Walensky any better than Fauci? No, no, probably worse. Actually, Fauci loves the spotlight and, and all the rest of it. But they the point I'm making here is that they don't give you back your freedom. They don't give you back your liberty in response to you making concessions. Not really. No, they wait till the numbers are where they say they need to be. And that's all that matters. And if they want to change, if they want to if they want to uh, go back on the deal, they will do that. It's for your safety. You see, it's for your safety. Uh, Biden's covid czar Jeffrey Zients here is telling people, oh, yeah, I know. I know we're tired of mask wearing. Play 11. You and I are both vaccinated and you and I are in a room together talking and I have no fear that I'm going to get the virus from you and I assume vice versa. And I think the concern is that by being overly cautious, the signal is going out to the public uh, that there isn't necessarily a light at the end of the tunnel. Do you understand why people well, are concerned? I think, I think everyone is tired um, and wearing a mask is it can be a pain. Uh, but we're, we're getting there and the light at the end of the tunnel is brighter and brighter. Let's keep up our guard. Let's follow the CDC guidance and the CDC guidance across time will allow vaccinated people more and more privileges to take off that mask. I really believe that if you look at the data on mask mandates, it has been entirely worthless, but they still they they'll never admit that. I mean, you'll you'll be talking about this in 50 years and there'll be people who still say, you know, what's so interesting is that this same debate happened. Uh, this same debate happened during the Spanish influenza pandemic. There were there were ultra maskers running around. Oh, you got a mask up. Masking will save us all. Didn't do a damn thing. And everyone realized that afterwards. But now we're told, oh, no. Now, because of the spray bottle test through a mask, you know, the spray bottle test that we run, we know that that's how we're going to stop the virus. Uh, it's it's insanity. Um, they, they, the problem that they're talking about here is that people who observe things understand that the CDC's risk parameters are completely absurd and unacceptable to normal, rational people that they have not given us back our freedom and liberty at the speed that they should, and that we're all tired of the nonsense and the lies and the garbage. Uh, the fact that two vaccinated people would sit down and have masks on is idiocy. It's idiocy, okay? It's absurd. And yet, they act like it's not. You know, we, we could do a lot of things. As I've said all along, we could have a 10-mile-an-hour speed limit, a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit even. Ooh, look at how fast that is. And you would save tens of thousands of lives in America. Tens of thousands of lives saved from that one change. But we understand at some level that's just too oppressive. That's crazy. That's unreasonable. That we run risks in society to function well as a society. You know, we could always insist on being, you know, 10 feet apart, 50 feet apart, although who knows what the real number is, in order to prevent the transmission of all kinds of diseases. But that's crazy. We've lost something about our society. We've lost the ability to see what is reasonable and what is not. And I, I understand that for the people who are living in their day to day, 
where this isn't as much of an issue. And I just I was just in Tennessee and Nash Nashvilleians are still pretty mask conscious. But you get outside it, you get outside of downtown Nashville and you're like, oh, OK, people here, people here have actually calmed down quite a bit. Same thing I've been seeing for a while in Florida. And you go to Miami, they're still they're mask maniacs in Miami. But in general, Florida is just more lax and chilled out about the whole thing. Um, when you see the the numbers and that they're making sure that this doesn't really get out right now, when you see the numbers that we've been warning you about all along, too, with how many businesses really have closed, how many people have gone bankrupt because of arbitrary covid closures that did nothing, did nothing. These people were wrong. Fauci, the rest of them, they were wrong. They can keep on going by the signs. They're morons. Um, but you also see the amount of cancer screenings that were missed. And people that are now going to have stage stage three or stage four, you know, end stage cancer who might have been able to be saved. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people. And remember, they were saying, well, well, we're saving lives from covid. Really? Did this work? Did their policies work? Do you look at this now and you feel like that's the truth? Uh, and, and this is so political, it's obvious it's why Biden's walk around saying it's your patriotic duty. It's also why there's this weird focus on individual vaccination status. Here's this Dr. Reiner who was on CNN drilling down into Tucker Carlson on this play 12. Yeah, so I think he's really a saboteur. That, that's what I think of, of Tucker Carlson. Every night he has a million questions about this vaccine. Somehow, magically, he has no one on his show that can answer these questions. I'm willing to answer these questions. And I have a question. I have two questions for Tucker Carlson. Number one, have you been vaccinated? Right. And number two, why won't you tell your audience whether you've been vaccinated? I'm tired. I'm tired of his really uh, his nonsense. Why is it anyone's business whether Tucker Carlson's been vaccinated? Is the vaccination mandatory? Well, if the government is going to take that position, why don't they just say that? No, now they're going to vaccine shame people. And yet, as I've told you, I would sit here and say, why should I be vaccinated at all? I've had covid. They say, oh, well, we think it'll give better protection. They think they don't know. They haven't run any trial. They haven't proven that. The science says that I have immunity. How long does it last? I don't know. How long does vaccine immunity last? They don't know that either, do they? But they act like just just this one more thing. Just this one more thing. Just do this thing and then, then everything will be OK. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me a million times. I'm a Fauciite. Well, look, COVID won't disappear. We're going to have to learn to live with it. But the risk is substantially reduced as a result of vaccination, as a result of immunity that people acquired through prior infection. And so I think we're at the point in time when we can start lifting these ordinances in a wholesale fashion. And people have to take precautions based on their individual risk. They have to judge their own individual risk and decide whether or not they're going to avoid crowds or wear masks based on their circumstances. But we've always said from a public health standpoint that we would set as a metric maybe when we get down to 10 cases per 100,000 people on a daily basis. Well, half the country's there right now. If you want to be more conservative and say five cases per 100,000 people, well, this week, by this week, probably about a quarter of states will be there. So we're at the point right now we can start lifting these ordinances and allowing people to resume normal activity. Certainly outdoors, we shouldn't be putting limits on gatherings anymore. We should be encouraging people to go outside. And the states where prevalence is low, vaccination rates are high, and we have good testing in place, so we're identifying infections. I think we can start lifting these restrictions indoors as well on a broad basis. I think we 
need to start lifting these things as the situation improves also to demonstrate that we can do that and that we maintain our integrity and our ability to re-implement these things when we have to. The public has to trust that public health officials are going to lift these restrictions as quickly as they put them in place as the conditions improve. And that's probably partly what's holding back the economy right now. Yeah, there's a lot going on here, folks. There's there's a lot of problems that this mentality creates. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, at at least not sounding like a crazy person here. Isn't it fascinating? He goes on TV, this guy, former FDA chairman or whatever, and he says it's time to end indoor mask mandates in some places. And everyone goes, hmm. Libs still don't want to do it, of course. Mask up forever. Biden says it's the patriotic duty. I better mask up. We've got three masks on. The whole thing. So embarrassing. Should be so embarrassing to people. It's so stupid. Why not four masks? Why not eight? Why don't they take the virus seriously? I'm a quad masker. I go four masks. So neuroses. People who go out in the woods by themselves with masks on for hikes have problems. And I, I mean this. There's widespread. And you can, you know, you can kind of laugh and say, oh, Buck, I'm out here. I live in a place where people don't really worry about this as much. Yeah, but millions, millions and millions, tens of millions of your fellow Americans who vote, who are you know, going to determine who the next president is and, you know, push push for uh, policies in one direction or another. Uh, they are emotionally damaged by this whole thing. They've gotten used to accepting tyranny and stupidity in a level at a way where uh, I'm, I've been honestly somewhat shocked by it. I mean, I knew that there'd be some of this, but it's gone way beyond my expectations. You know, I I've have friends who have been told by people outdoors 20 feet away, you know, where is your mask? How, really? They're that they're that people are that emotionally destabilized by this that they can't think this through at all. It's not walking walking outside with a, you know, with with the sun blasting on you that you have to worry about this virus. It's getting fat and weak and being kept indoors, not seeing loved ones, not working out, not getting exercise indoors. You know, you only have to be exposed once, one time indoors to get the virus. And then for some people, that can be all she wrote. You know, maybe locking us all inside and stifling our breath and increasing our 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 stress, which is which is immune suppressing. It's true. Stress is an immune suppressant. You know that you hear notice that they never talk about that. But but making sure that you can't breathe normally um, and and how that affect. I mean, I get I'll tell you, I get agitated every time I'm forced to put that stupid. I want to start cursing when I talk about that stupid thing on my face. Every time I get on an airplane, I want to look around and people say, are you are you morons who want this happy? I know there are a lot of people who agree with me, obviously. And, you know, God bless them. But the people that are, you know, where's your mask? Ugh. A lot of lot of destruction done because people are honestly people are cowards who think that they'll live forever if they listen to the listen to the Fauci. A lot of 25 year olds and 30 year olds who watch a lot of CNN who think I'm doing my part. I'm a patriot because I wear a mask like Biden says. And, you know, I mean, they, they should be ashamed, but they think what's amazing is they think they're the good guys. Here's this other doctor, Dr. Reiner on CNN about restaurants. A lot of restaurants in New York still closed, never coming back. Play 13. 
What do you think, Dr. Reiner? Is the president being too cautious? Well, it's his job to be cautious, but I think the message from this administration needs to be clearer and cleaner for people who have been vaccinated. The data that we have accrued from now, you know, over uh, 100 million fully vaccinated people shows that the risk of serious illness is close to zero if you've been fully vaccinated. And I want the American public to understand that. That's the carrot that you get for going to get a shot. You're not only protecting your community, which is perhaps the most important role for getting vaccinated, but you're protecting yourself in a really, really uh, resounding way. And the CDC should be telling people that. The CDC should be telling people, if you are vaccinated, book a reservation at a restaurant, support your local restaurants, go out, take your mask off, have a drink. Because, uh, first of all, that's true. And people need to understand that. Without, without that kind of guidance, people think that this pandemic is endless. And that's because it is. And that's because the people in charge, that is their mentality. They like the control. They like this. You think Fauci wants to go back to being some obscure bureaucrat who puts out PSAs about washing your hands during flu season that no one pays attention to? No, I don't think so, friends. I don't think so. This guy has like a, a messianic complex, our messiah complex. Uh, he's he's uh, saving, saving millions of lives with this, right? This is what they think. A lot of people that have had businesses destroyed, a lot of people whose lives have been ruined by this should be looking, looking at what's going on here and saying, uh, by the way, we, we need to push. I want to see uh, a, a lot of data crunching, the right conservatives, just rational people need to pound this. I, I know some of you. Oh, Buck, let's talk what I'm going to sit here and talk about Liz Cheney leadership struggles for two hours. Who cares? Liz Cheney's annoying. The old GOP is gone. She's going to be gone soon from leadership, too. This is about our society. This is about our whole country, about the mentality of the American people overall. This really matters. How do we get back to a place of normalcy as soon as possible and hold the people that took our rights away from us responsible for it? Oh, man, you know what I made myself this morning? Some bacon, bacon from my friends at Moink. Moink is The best place to get your meats, all right? You're talking about grass-fed, grass-finished beef here, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, really delicious, top-quality stuff, sent right to your door in a moink box. And this is allowing independent farms to stay independent of big agriculture, and you're going to get the most delicious pork, chicken, beef. I made a ribeye recently for myself. It was so buttery and delicious, and I've made whole chicken, chicken breast, bacon. The pork is just, the stuff is going to melt in your mouth. You've got to get a Moink Box now. Go to moinkbox.com slash buck, and listeners to this show get free ground beef for a year. That's Moink Box, M-O-I-N-K Box, moinkbox.com slash buck, and listeners to this show, you'll get free ground beef for a year. Moinkbox.com slash buck. Have all the best possible proteins. Chicken, beef. Oh, my gosh. You're going to love it. Wild caught salmon delivered right to your door. Keep it in your freezer. Have it whenever you need it. Best stuff you'll ever get. Moinkbox.com slash buck. 
I am excited for her next chapter. That's why I want to be as excited as every parent. I don't want to have to worry about her entering a world where she has to worry about how people would treat her because of the color of her skin. So I I am excited, but I'd like to be more excited <laughs> to know that as she goes out and gets her first apartment and rides the subway somewhere, that they don't make assumptions about her based on the color of her skin, that she's not at risk out there in the world as an adult because she's a black woman. I'm so glad that Michelle Obama is raising this issue of the uh, the treatment that she is worried her daughter will face in America because to any person who's actually being honest and, and understands what's really going on in America today, the, the Obama daughters who are now adults and who are public figures so we can speak about them. The Obama daughters are going to continue to be treated almost like gods in America for the rest of their lives. They will be uh, in, invited to whatever parties, whatever, whatever social life they want. People will beg them to show up at, at their parties. They will be multi, multi-millionaires many, many, many times. They will be fabulously wealthy. They will be incredibly influential. They will be almost worshipped by liberals in America without ever actually having to do anything. Anything. Just because of who they are. But Michelle Obama wants you to know that she's worried about the racism they'll face when getting an apartment. Really? Hmm. I, I give full credit to my friend uh, Jesse Kelly. Great tweet. Went viral over the weekend. Uh, when he said he dreams of a world in which the Obamas can be or dreams of an America in which the Obamas you know, can be successful. Barack Obama has multiple you know, mansions. I mean, he's got a 15 million dollar house in Martha's Vineyard. He's still largely running the White House on key decisions. Just all he has to do is call Joe Biden. Biden will do whatever Obama tells him. We all know it. Uh, the Obamas occupy a place in society where they are beloved by by really more than half the country, beloved, elevated, uh, treated like they are just the, the greatest thing to happen in American politics in living memory. Let's keep so let's pick it up there. Ready? Yep. It really is amazing uh, when you think about where we are now as a society where where somebody who I mean, M Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, uh, these are individuals who are, are among the most powerful, lucky, wealthy, influential human beings on Earth. I mean, they're probably in like the top 10 on the planet. And, you know, she, Michelle Obama's worried about her, da her daughter being able to rent an apartment. Really? Michelle Obama's daughter is going to be living in a $10 million mansion in Bel Air or in Malibu or in, you know, New York City. I assure you the moment that she wants to. And, and you listening to this will probably never live in a house like that. I will never live in a house like that. But Michelle Obama's children will live wherever they want. to, And, that, and look, that's fine. Barack Obama's made a lot of money and, you know, this is I'm a capitalist. I believe that. People, but can we not deal with the whining? I, I'm just I want to. Can we not hear about how it's you know, it's going to be so hard for them? Really? 
oh, you're right. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be racist to the Obama uh, to the Obama children, now adults in front of the Secret Service details that they have escorting them around for the rest of their life. I'm sure they're really going to you know, deal with the the sting of racism in that context. Come on, folks. Come on. I mean, enough is enough. But you see, even no matter how, when you're when you're a leftist who has risen through the Demo- to the very top of the Democrat Party and identity politics has always been such a part of one's individual narrative. Victimology goes hand in hand with that. And, and, and you will never drop that. Why? It's power. It's power. Not only are you rich and famous and influential, but anyone who criticizes you is racist. Well, that's amazing. I mean, you get to you get to have all the trappings of power, all the actual influence and upside of our society. But you you have a a built in protection against anyone criticizing you, saying it, just say, oh, my gosh, they're being racist. Look, look at all the challenges we deal with. They they've said mean things. I want to be ultra rich and wealthy and influential in America. And and have a built in defense against any criticism that will silence most people. I'm sorry. I just I couldn't. There's something that's just too much. I mean, does Michelle Obama really think that her daughter's going to have a hard time renting an apartment? Does she really does she really believe that? Really? The daughter of the president. I mean, I think they both go to Harvard, both the daughters. You know, I, I mean, did they even have to submit transcripts? I, I don't know. Probably as a pro forma thing, but I'm pretty sure the Obama children could get into absolutely any school they want anywhere in the country. We all know that. Does anyone want to does anyone want to take the other side of that argument? Oh, no, no, it's very hard for the Obama children to get into the most elite university they want because of what a racist society we live in. Does anyone want to take that side of the argument? They'll look really stupid. We all know that. Ah, no, but we all we all have to play this game still where we act like, you know, Michelle Obama's worried about her children being able to rent an apartment where, you know, where you have LeBron James saying that he that 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 black people are being hunted every time they leave their homes by the police. A horrifying thing to say where Don Lemon tells everybody that he's worried. This was some years ago that he calls his mom and he gets home because he's so worried about the police killing him. Where Nancy Pelosi and and Chuck Schumer uh, pretend that they care so much about these these concerns that are held by very prominent minorities and that they somehow have a connection to this that's not just about their own pursuit of power. Yeah, this is the society that we live in now where we have to just hear these things and say, yeah, that's reasonable. Sure. Oh, and in case you're wondering, Michelle Obama also wants, uh, wants you to uh, get the vaccine. Play five does seem like we're coming out of the covid valley mm-hmm. you know we you know where it was a long dark tunnel i think we're still sort of in the tunnel but mm-hmm. i do sort of see light back there yeah well it'd what be better light COVID if people would get vaccinated that, yeah. <laughs> there's still so many people that are either yeah. scared or just think yeah. no i'm not doing it all i can say is that i i have tried to live a life where i don't lie to people <laughs> and the science behind a vaccine is the same science that's behind aspirin and insulin. What are the COVID rules for visiting the Obamas? Uh, now it's be vaccinated. Be vac- yeah. uh, that, that's the, you, want, you want to hang out with us? 
get your vaccine. Get get all of it, finish it up, and then we can talk. So I urge everybody out there uh, within the sound of our voices, please, please get the vaccine. Um, it's time. Michelle Obama knows nothing about science or medicine, but that won't be in, in any professional or she was a hospital administrator, if you are wondering, who was making, I think, $300,000 a year while her husband was a senator from Illinois, uh, $300,000 a year at a public hospital to be a, a diversity educator or to be a coordinator for diversity. So, yeah, she's worked at a hospital. She knows nothing about medicine in a professional capacity, but I'm sure you're not allowed to actually point out that it's only the people that have criticisms of the Fauci consensus who have to be MDs. Everybody else who's out there who, who is just saying whatever they're supposed to uh, about the Fauci consensus, they, uh, they, they, their medical degree is is not up for debate or discussion. Um, but also, I thought it was very strange when she said that the vaccine is the same size. No, 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 no. This this vaccine is not. It's not the same science. I, I understand what she was roughly getting at here, but uh, this is these are vaccines that are relying on technology that is new, that is. Uh, has not been around for a long time at all, obviously. Uh, this is not using a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. This is a whole other level. Um, but don't ask any questions, folks. Just shut up and do what you're told. That's the America we live in now. When Michelle Obama speaks, you listen and do as you're told. When Dr. Fauci speaks, you listen and do as you're told. And if you won't, if, you, if there's any part of you that has an issue with that, you're a bad person who wants old people to die and doesn't want America to go back to normal. That's where we are. That's this Democrat administration. Oh, but they're uniters. The Biden team, they're, they're uniters, aren't they? Sure they are. Disney goes woke with new anti-racist agenda for employees. That's the headline on this piece from Dana Kennedy at the New York Post. And you dig into this and it's remarkable. It really is. Not surprising. Because, as we all know, these days, there's so much of this uh, anti-racism wokeness training that you used to think of as something that would exist only on left-wing college campuses. But really the last 10 years has become completely standardized in corporate America. And Disney, which is supposed to be one of the great American brands and entertainment companies out there, you know, Disney should be as American as apple pie. You may recall, though, some years ago, Disney was actually hiring H-1B visa uh, P, uh, foreigners to take the jobs of Americans working in different tech positions for Disney and then made the Americans train their replacements as part of the conditions of getting their severance packages. Yeah. So D Disney's Disney can be brutal. Um, and this is a company run by libs. Just remember that Disney is run by libs, just like all these other major corporate wasn't wasn't necessarily built by left-wing radicals but but you got people now at the top who will certainly if they themselves don't believe that stuff will certainly bend the knee to left-wing lunacy as as much as they need to for their own purposes and this is a uh, an example of how critical race theory is at, at a great american corporation being taught to people here is the here is uh, from this piece Disney is pushing critical race theory on employees through a new plan called Reimagine Tomorrow, urging workers to recognize their white privilege in a battery of training modules on such topics as systemic racism 
and white fragility. This is according to documents obtained by City Journal's Christopher Russo. Staffers are told to reject equality for equity and must reflect on America's racist infrastructure and think carefully about whether or not their wealth is derived from racism, according to the documents. In one anti-racism training course called Allyship for Race Consciousness, workers are taught that the U.S. has a long history of systemic racism and transphobia and told they must take ownership of educating yourself about structural anti-black racism. Staffers should not rely on their black colleagues to educate them, which is emotionally taxing, the document reportedly instructs. I mean, friends, come on. Right? It, it's, it's like we're just, we're just trying to see how absurd everything can possibly get before people realize that this is just nuts and they won't deal with it anymore. What, what does all this stuff even mean? Why is this all being taught as though this is accepted truth in a corporate training module? This is, this is, all, this is all bull. This is all crazy. What, is, what does this even mean? Emotionally taxing to rely on colleagues to teach you about race? I'm not relying on colleagues to teach me about any of this stuff. What, are they, what does this even mean? Oh, gosh. Keep, peace keeps going on here. Quote, Disney recommends its staffers hit the books, suggesting one essay that encourages parents to commit to raising race consciousness in children and which teaches that even babies discriminate against members of other races. That's right, folks. Babies are racist. Only white babies, though, they will tell you. And I'm being this is true. Only white babies are racist because whatever they've noticed in babies when it comes to reacting to people of different of different races, um, that is even though babies can't really understand the structural racism in society, it is really only possible for white people to be racist, according to critical race theorists. You have to remember that. If you're wondering how intellectually contradictory and flimsy critical race theory really is. Only white people are able to be racist, according to critical race theorists. Racial tension among other groups is the result of white supremacy and white supremacist thinking, according to CRT. So if you see, you know, a story about a black guy assaulting an Asian-American, attacking, you know, beating up an, an old Asian lady, something like that, that is not something that. Uh, you have to, you, you should think of as being the result of racism. That's the result of white supremacy, specifically. Not anti-Asian bigotry from somebody who is non-white. Because that can't exist, they tell you. Um, there are almost daily memos, according to this, this piece, the New York Post. This is all based on Chris Rufo's amazing reporting on this. There are almost daily memos that suggest readings, panels, and seminars all centered around anti-racism. The company is completely ideologically one-sided, discourages Christian and or conservatives from speaking their mind. Here's a quote from a worker. I attended several training sessions at the beginning just to see what the temperature of the discussion would be and to gauge if I would be able to bring up my own objections in a safe way, safe meaning for my career, 
And I've continu- I've continually gotten the unspoken answer, no, the employee told the outlet. It has been very stifling to feel like everyone keeps talking about having open dialogue and compassionate conversations. But when it comes down to it, I know if I said one thing that was truthful based on data or even just based on my own personal experience, it would actually be rather unwelcome. The company has also backed a 21-day racial equity and social justice challenge, the New York Post piece goes on, where participants are told they all have been raised in a society that elevates white culture over others. As part of the challenge, staffers learn about their white privilege and are asked to fill out a white privilege checklist with choices such as I am white, I am a heterosexual, I am a man, I still identify as the gender I was born in, I have never been raped, I don't rely on public transportation, and I have never been called a terrorist. The company has recently shown a willingness to embrace this ideology, including adding content advisories to films including like Dumbo, Aladdin, and Fantasia. Disney is run by three, uh, I mean, the top three people in Disney are super rich white guys worth a billion dollars between them. But they really care about wokeness, you see. This isn't, remember, you're never allowed to think about how this stuff is being pushed at companies by really rich white progressives, overwhelmingly, who want to make sure that they are insulated from these criticisms, that they have the social capital and the virtue signaling of instituting all of this, and that they actually don't give a crap about what's going on when it comes to race relations in America and and racial tensions, none of that really matters to them. This is about the people at the top controlling the hourly workers, you see. I'm about to get into the latest uh, statement about concerns of racist America from Michelle Obama. We'll get into that in just a, just a moment. But I want small business to thrive. Put aside for a moment this administration and all the ways they're making it harder. I want small business to thrive And there are critical things you can do that will really help. HR is a huge problem for a lot of folks, as you know. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. You've got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. Bambi.com slash buck. It's month to month, no hidden fees. You can cancel Anytime you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. The theory that COVID-19 escaped from a lab may not be so far fetched. That is the piece by Nicholas Wade from yesterday. The New York Post opinion piece here. Uh, let's dive into this with somebody who's been following this very closely and also understands China quite well from his time in the intelligence community. He's even a Mandarin speaker himself. 
our friend Jack Posobiec of One America News with us now. Jack, great to have you. Dean, Holly, Buck. There we go. Now tell me, what is, what is your, just bring everyone up to speed here on where we are at this stage with the lab leak, the COVID-19 virus lab leak thesis. Well, so it's really interesting, Buck, that many of us early who were some of the first people to call out what was going on with COVID back in all the way January 2020. Can you believe almost a year and a half ago talking about what is China, the, you know, sort of the people like myself in the China Watcher community going, what the heck is going on in China? They're locking down cities. The people are falling over or something. This is not normal. Something's up, right? And kind of calling attention to that, like maybe we should cut down travel with China if there really is a virus out of here. Well, the first thing we did was point out that this city in Wuhan, and specific area of the, this wet market, we were told originally, remember the wet market, and there were all these bat soup uh, pictures and images that were being spread throughout the internet. But many of us said, well, hold on a second. The Wuhan Institute of Virology is right down the street from where this thing is going on. Shouldn't we possibly take a look at that? Just, you know, looking at it as an objective standpoint. And they said, no, 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 don't worry about that. Well, then we said, well, can we at least find out what kind of evidence, what kind of experiments were being done at that lab? And then we find out that they were conducting experiments called gain of function. These are experiments that are done to create viruses, in this case, specifically coronaviruses that have higher susceptibility to being infectious to human beings. They cross populations from uh, bats, pangolins, you know, possible intermediary species, they're calling it humanized mice, and go into humans. Now, the problem with this, they told us again and again and again for all this time, no, it's not possible, it's debunked. Senator Tom Cotton went out and talked about it. The Washington Post went after him. Finally, just last week on a Medium article, and now it's gaining traction in the New York Post and other places, a former New York Times science writer has come out, this guy Nicholas Wade, and said, you know what? Everything these guys have been saying for the past year and a half is absolutely spot on. There's a lot of scientists that say this thing has features that don't appear to have uh, evolved naturally or arisen naturally. We don't see, you know, we don't see the normal chain of progression. We don't see populations that were infected along the route to Wuhan. And the bats that we're told that this come from don't come anywhere near Wuhan. They're not from near. They're from caves that are 1,200 miles away in Yuanan. And so... He's looking at it and saying, we think there might be a problem here. And Buck, here's the even bigger problem, is that all the scientists that the mainstream media has brought forward, the WHO put at the head of their quote-unquote investigation into all of this, are the same scientists, this guy Peter Daszak and his friends, who were actually involved in those gain-of-function experiments and giving them approval in the first place within the Wuhan lab. So this, it's, it's an incredible story. It's a wild story. It's something that people would not, it's, it's what we don't want to hear, right? We want to hear that our government has, is keeping our best interests at heart, is doing what they can to protect us. We're told to trust the science. We want to believe doctors. We want to believe scientists. And then when we find out something like this, it almost seems far-fetched to believe. Now people are finally speaking out. Jack, what do you think the ramifications uh, could be here if, in fact, we do end up proving. I mean, China, we, I, I would assume, will just, no matter what, always deny this. But can you imagine a country 
uh, a government really. Remember, this is not the, it's not the Chinese people; it's the Chinese Communist Party and and the the powers that be uh, who would be responsible for unleashing essentially a plague on the whole world that will end up having killed millions of people. Uh, that's that's a, a a problem that it's even hard to wrap our minds around. But how do you see this playing out? The problem here is that well, it would be easy for us blame it all on China, right? That would be sort of the knee-jerk response. It would be very simple to do, but that isn't intellectually honest because as we're following, look, you know, I'm not some guy who's a, a virus expert. I'm not a, uh, a research expert in this field. I'm just following the data, right? I'm just following the evidence where it leads following the facts. So these experiments are going on, but then we find out that these experiments were supported and approved and in some cases funded by a group called the EcoHealth Alliance, run by the, out of Houston, run by this guy Peter Daszak, an American slash British scientist. Then we find out the funding approval came through the National Institute of Health, which of course is headed by Francis Bacon and his, or excuse me, Francis Collins, and the deputy there, of course, is Dr. Anthony Fauci, an absolute household name. So we are going to have to come to grips with the fact that the very people who were supposed to be looking out for this thing may actually have a degree of responsibility, culpability, in allowing these very risky, extremely dangerous experiments to go on in a place like China where they were not given the proper approval they needed. And now, of course, they're using the power of the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese Communist government, to wipe everything under the table, erase all the data, not give independent um, investigators and auditors access to the databases to find out what was actually being cooked up in that lab. Uh, there in Wuhan. And the fact of the matter is, is that the U.S. government may have some responsibility in this as well. Speaking of Jack Posobiec of One America News Network about the the status of the story of the origins of the COVID-19 virus. And Jack, ex- go, go into a just give us a little more context here about people say Fauci was involved in something that connects to China and then also the U.S. government hand. Explain to us again how that how that all comes, how that could come together. Right. And I really don't want to make some sort of Machiavellian thing. I, I, I don't think there's any evidence. I haven't seen any evidence that deliberate, that this was something that anybody on the U.S. side or the China side, you know, wanted to happen. Certainly the economic effects of this have been devastating. The human uh, cause of this has been devastating for all around the world. So there's no benefit for anybody, right? Uh, you know, unless, the, unless you look at sort of the uh, e-commerce sites of the world. But when it really comes down to it, it just seems that these experiments were going on in this lab in Wuhan. They had oversight, supposedly, from the international science community. And we're told that the most preeminent uh, scholars and experts from that community are the National Institutes of Health right here in Bethesda, Maryland, United States of America, Anthony Fauci, top name there, Francis Collins, one of the top names there. Usually when you see something like an NIH uh, study on the top of it, you know that gold standard for world science and uh, and world uh, research. The problem is, is that they were conducting these studies in China in such a way that it was not held to the same standards. And this guy, Wade, actually goes through in greater detail. He says some of the experiments, yeah, we're told it was a level four facility. Actually, it was a biosafety standard level two facility. He said 
So the BSL-2, that's basically the same amount of biosafety you would see in like your dentist office when you go for a checkup, right? You know, it's, it's, is it sterilized? Sure. But does it thing where you could be working on viruses? Not so much. And so these are the real questions that are going to have to come out. And also, by the way, the people that were in this Wuhan lab, the researchers, the students, the interns, the grad students that were there, they were going back and forth from these caves in Yan'an, where the bat viruses were back and forth again and again from Wuhan to Yan'an. And they were not operate. They were not vaccinated. They were not taking antivirals. They were not doing prophylactic care. So they were not doing taking any of the steps that would prevent a possible leak in any of this. And so that's why early on we've seen already intelligence reports. And I know you've covered this book talking about uh, in the fall of 2019, there were people in that lab getting sick. That's what we've seen from U.S. intelligence. Like Pompeo has talked about that when he was secretary of state. And in many cases, by the way, it's been very quiet. But even members of the Biden administration and their intelligence leaders are saying, yeah, we, we've seen the same reports and we believe that they're credible, that there were people in this lab getting sick in the fall of 2019, which is way before the WHO got their report from China in December of 2019. So something was going on and China does not want to talk about it. And the fact of the matter is there are parts of the U.S. government that really don't want to talk about it either. Speaking to Jack Posobiec of One America News Network. And Jack, just just what is the status right now of of China with regard to reopen, with regard to how how it is you know, viewing the pandemic, the Chinese economy? How are they doing? Well, I mean, China is one of the very first countries to open up. So you look at what they did. They imposed very draconian uh, lockdown early on. Of course, China doesn't have any of the human rights safeguards that we have here in the United States. Thing is private property in China. There's no such thing as you having rights for the government. If the government wants to literally lock you in their house, they can walk up and do that. And that's what they were doing to certain departments in Wuhan and other parts of the country. However, of course, at the same time, they were shutting down domestic travel. They were also expanding international travel. And, in, and like in the case of Italy, they, you had Chinese diplomats that were going over there demanding that Italy continue to accept Chinese uh, airlines. They were continuing to travel from between Italy and China and to allow Chinese citizens within Italy to return to China. So it seems very confusing. But then you go forward. Now China has rolled out everything they can to end the lockdowns, reopen up people, and they're doing what's called targeted track and tracing, where they're going after people who are, they believe are directly infected with this thing lock them down specifically, and then everybody else gets back to normal. Their economy has been turned back on. Their economy is starting to chug yet again. Wow. Jack, always appreciate you joining us on, on this stuff, man. I, I just I wanted to ask you before we let you go, it, it feels to me like at some level China, I mean, if you're just looking at the, the, the contest for the dominant global power here of, of you know, which – whether American or Chinese civilization is is advancing, if you view this as a zero sum situation against each other, China seems to have benefited. Uh, do, do you think that's a fair assessment? Well, it seems China has played the hand that was dead to them and far better than we have in the United States. We were much more worried about political correctness. We were more worried about, quote unquote, following the science and playing out to all of things that not that you know we we took them as as 
mark of faith that you you know you have to pla- pass whatever guideline is put up by the CDC originally. Don't wear a mask. I said put masks on. That everybody has to wear a mask, even when you're outside, which makes no sense whatsoever, right? They weren't following the data. They were taking it as an article of faith because in this country we put political correctness ahead of actual science and actual data. We've done that to our detriment. China, on the other hand, has none of that stuff. You don't see these kind of things being rolled out in China. And because of that, they were able to get their country back much faster than here in the United States and really across the world. Jack Posobiec, One America News. Jack, thanks so much, my man. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Buck. Take care. I've known Elise. I, I campaigned for Elise in her first in her first campaign. She was the youngest woman elected to the House of Representatives. And um, I think Lisa will bring some real good things to it. I also like Liz Cheney. Um, and I think Liz is smart and tough. But I think Liz is doing what she wants to do. I don't think Liz wants to be in leadership anymore. Because once she won the vote earlier, she continued to press this issue publicly in a way that was antagonizing the people who were against her. And I think you don't have an entitlement to be in leadership, but you do have an entitlement to be in Congress. You know, Liz Cheney's going to go, it seems like. So that's good. And she's not where the party wants to be. She's not where the party will win. And so the, the, it's working here. You know, the, the Democrats, what they want is for you to think, oh, Republicans in disarray and moving away from Trumpism and all this stuff. But. Now, this is just a just a little housekeeping, not not a big deal um, and not in any way going to uh, make or break the midterms or whoever's going to run on the Republican side for 2024. But, you know, whenever they can point the media can't help themselves whenever they can see what they believe to be. Uh, dissension among the you know, among the ranks when they see problems breaking out. On the Republican side, it's an opportunity to use that strife to focus in on it, try to exacerbate it, try to create greater political advantage for the Democrats from it. So that's why you're seeing such a focus on this. Look, I I think that it was it was outrageous uh, that you had Liz Cheney supporting the uh, effort to remove Donald Trump. uh, Well, I'm sorry, to prevent him from running again uh, through the impeachment process. The second impeachment process. I mean, to to reward the maniacal, underhanded, disgraceful Democrats with any kind of bipartisan tinge, if you will, to uh, to the effort to to impeach the president is is something that that politicians should be held accountable for. Mitt Romney was what was he recently censured by the Utah uh, by the Utah state legislature? Great. Mitt Romney deserves censure. Mitt Romney is weak. He's weak. He's not a man of courage and principle. He's a man who likes to be liked. You know, so he likes to be important. He likes to be center of attention. And he thinks he's just such a, oh, just such a great guy. Yeah, he marched with BLM. You march with BLM, you're not a conservative. You march with BLM, you're not part of the solution. You're part of the problem. Adam Kinzinger, another guy who's just, he's just, Playing this wrong. He's on the wrong side. Dare I say the wrong side of GOP history. Play 16. Liz Cheney uh, is saying exactly what Kevin McCarthy said uh, the day of the insurrection. She's just consistently been saying it. And a few weeks later, Kevin McCarthy changed to attacking other people. 
And so I think what the reality is, is as a party, we have to have an internal look and a full accounting as to what led to January 6th. I mean, right now it's basically the, the Titanic. We're like, you know, in this in the middle of this slow sink, we have a band playing on the deck and telling everybody it's fine. And meanwhile, as I've said, you know, Donald Trump's running around trying to find women's clothing and get on the first lifeboat. And I think there's a few of us that are just saying, guys, this is not good, not just for the future of the party, but this is not good for the future of this country. We're four months after January 6th, an insurrection, something that was unthinkable in this country. And the message from the people that want to get rid of Liz Cheney is to say, it's just time to focus on the future and move on. Like this was 10 years ago and we've been obsessed about it since. It's been four months and we have so many people, including our leadership in the party, that has not admitted that this is what it is, which was an insurrection led by the president of the United States, well deserving of a full accounting from Republicans. He's a moron. It wasn't an insurrection and he's controlled opposition and he should be absolutely repudiated in the next election. Could the stock market be on the verge of historic gains? According to my friends at Carnivore Trading, yes, they've spotted several key indicators, but the biggest profits will come in sectors even Wall Street experts miss. Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. I'm getting these texts every day, and I'm taking action based upon what Carnivore is telling me they're doing. I'm mirroring their trades. You can, too. But, you know, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But why would you pass when their trades routinely crush the S&P 500? They also guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back, 5x your monthly fee, just by mirroring their trades. The market looks to be on the verge of a massive upswing. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com and use promo code BUCK. That's GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guarantee terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Harsanyi time. Our friend David Harsanyi in the mix here. He's a senior writer at National Review. Go to nationalreview.com for his latest. David, always appreciate it. Always happy to be here. Thanks. So it turns out we're seeing the Biden administration has a pretty clear propensity to want to spend more money. And this starts to raise taxpayer money, of course. This starts to raise some interesting questions. When is it? I know you're dealing with this in a piece this week. When are, when have we actually spent enough money on anything? Have we have we ever actually spent enough money on education per pupil per year? Have we ever spent enough money on roads? Have we spent enough? You know, I, I just want to know because it seems like more money is always the answer. Right, and it's you know it's this win either way kind of proposition in the sense that. If you say, okay, well, Democrats, first of all, could have spent whatever they wanted because they unilaterally and part through a partisan vote passed their bill. And let's not let's remember as well, we spent another four trillion dollars in addition to the two trillion dollars we just spent before. Right. During the you know, before the election. So we're we're, yeah, before. So um, they'll say, uh, you know, we need to spend this money to save the economy. And then we come in seven hundred thousand jobs short of what economists were expecting. It's one of the worst jobs reports I can remember in history. None of his promises came true. And then they say, oh, well, yeah, it's because Republicans didn't want to spend more. (laughs) Well, first of all, Republicans are not in the way of you spending. You can spend as much as you want. There's no filibuster on spending. Spend more money if you think it's going to work. Or maybe what you're doing is not right. 
you know, you're disincentivizing people to work with an unemployment insurance stuff. You're, can, you're, can we dig into that for a second? I, I don't want to interrupt your flow here, but that's because yeah, yeah. we keep hearing about this and, and it gets dismissed. I don't think it should be dismissed at all. If I were an hourly worker, right, if I were somebody who's getting paid by the hour to work at a restaurant or in any number of jobs and I and I did the math in my head and it was I can make the same money staying home and not working as I do going into my job, I probably wouldn't do that job. Yeah, I mean, that's human nature. I mean, it's something like, you know, we're not even allowed to mention this anymore. It's not even it's it's not even that you're lazy. It's just that, you know, you can make more money not working. Why wouldn't you do it? It doesn't make any sense for you not to do it. And, you know, I saw some, you know, liberals saying, you know, we have a failed economy. If you have to, if that's how little you're going to make, you know, they just don't value in the way that we should. And, you know, you have a bunch of people who are staying home. It's clear in the numbers. And, uh, you know, that, that just under, it's not like these are forever jobs. These are jobs that you use to get into the economy. These are jobs you use to, to move up the ladder. These are jobs young people get. Um, there's just no reason to treat them as if there's something wrong with it. So I don't know. I mean, I think it has a, it's hard to tell what effect it had or how much of this is that, but it's clearly a part of it. Well, I also think that we get we get into this loop where Biden in the joint address to a, or the address to a joint session of Congress, you know, the de facto State of the Union that he gave, kept talking about Democrats creating millions of jobs as if we need the government to do this. And I feel like this this is a a a root fallacy that we keep coming up against. We have all these different you know sectors and all this all these different companies and and industries when did it become the government's job to think that it actually creates jobs? Well, other than I for guess. bureaucrats, I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about government employees. I mean, the private yeah, yeah. sector. Yeah, I mean, it is a fallacy and it's it's something that we should be saying. I mean, you have this happening since the Obama administration, probably before um, where the government says it created and saved jobs. Do you remember that algorithm or whatever they had? So it is. um it's a fallacy and it makes people think that the government's there to help them create, you know, get a job or create a job. It's just not how it works. You have, you have this, you have this, you know, he wants to create this welfare system, which is bad enough, but then you have essentially saying, this is the kind of job people should have green jobs, these jobs, that jobs, instead of allowing organic job growth in a, in a vibrant market. And it's clear over and over again that their way doesn't work. People forget Obama's stimulus plan did not work. We had the slowest recovery in the history of America. It, it is not the way to recover. The way to recover is to let people go back to work. And this is a, you know, this was an artificial recession created by the government locking down businesses. There was really no reason for it. So if you let people go back to work, they're going to create jobs. And what you're doing is depressing that with dumb policies. What is the dumbest thing that you think the Biden team has done so far? We're speaking to David Harsanyi of National Review. Everybody go to nationalreview.com for his latest. But, David, take, take that one on for me. I mean, we're, <laughs> like, we're like, you know, day 100 and, you know, 20 or something, whatever it is. So what's the dumbest thing so far for you? I, I essentially don't know anything they've done, so it's hard for me to answer this. But I will say this. I think they had a chance. He had a chance. I'm not even saying this is some sort of revisionist history or anything. I, I, I really mean that the chance to bring the country together. He could have gone forward with some moderate policies that everyone could agree on just to get people to get together and move forward. Um, and instead, he's embraced the farthest left policies that any president has ever embraced, starting with getting the Hyde Amendment on abortion, to, you know, to, to spending trillions of dollars on union bailouts and, you know, and all everything he's done. 
Okay, so but you haven't you haven't liked a lot of things the Biden administration's done. Um, you know, if if you're looking at this now and seeing, and, and I'm asking you to tell me what you think are the the biggest blunders that they've made. What what comes to mind? I think the stimulus plan. I think you know it's popular now, but in the long run, just like the Obama stimulus plan, it wasn't popular. It just seemed like wasteful spending um, that didn't help the economy. I think this jobs miss is a huge huge, uh, huge thing that is going to change the perceptions people have about what Biden is doing in the long run, especially if it's followed up by another poor showing. So I think that that that's the dumbest thing he's done, especially right off the bat. Now, we're speaking to David Harsani of National Review. And David, um, I, I focus some somewhat today on the show on on wokeness training and, and, you know, th- these documents have come out. Chris Rufo from City Journal has gotten his hands on these documents about what they're what they're making people sit through and, and partake in. It's not just like you're an active, you know, you're you're a, you're a inactive participant. You have to, you know, do these workshops and say these things and write down, you know, th- this, this hierarchy of the of the different sins of white privilege and all this stuff. This is. I, I don't I don't understand how anyone can see this as anything other than madness. I, I know that it it benefits some people. But when you look at the top of Disney, for example, these aren't people that are they're not woke. And the people running the company aren't they're not worried about diversity at the very top. You know, they're not worried about how much money they make compared to the average worker. It just all feels so obviously phony. But the Democrat Party wholesale embraces all this critical race theory stuff. I mean, I, I suspect that they're scared. They're terrified. They're terrified that if they don't do it, they're going to be in trouble. They're terrified that they're going to be called out. Their company's going to be called out, and they're they would never say anything because racism is a vile uh, smear on most people. I'm not saying there aren't any racists out there, and it's easy to do, and it's been accepted by mainstream press as and and, and others you know, white privilege and, and these ideas. And I think, you know, even by some people on the right, David French, I saw, wrote that, uh, you know, what's the big deal? People can just sign off on this. It's not real. It's not as if they care. Well, I care. I care. I wouldn't want to say that I'm a racist or that there's white supremacy in this country or that, that there's even white privilege, I'm sorry to say. I, I'm not saying that never happens. I'm just saying I don't think it's systemic. I don't think that most people are racist think that this is a meritocracy, largely speaking, and I wouldn't want to sign off. It's lying. And I wouldn't want to lie about something like that. And I wouldn't want to demean myself or say, you know, to my kids that this is a certain kind of country that it's not. And all those things matter to me. And I'm not sure, you know, it's going to change until we all start standing. It's easy for me. I'm a writer to say this. I think as, 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 as until regular people stand up and say no, it's going to keep going. Yeah, and I, I got to say that that David French would say that. I mean, they're they're also doing this to to kids. They're doing this to eight year olds. And they're brainwashing them to. I mean, it's it's horrible. You know, French, and you know, I, I'm not speaking for for obviously for David here because I'm I'm picking my own fights. I mean, French is somebody who was essentially broken by Trumpism, and I you I've I've in the back of the day I had him on radio. We had many conversations about conservatism. He somehow always, and this is now a movement within the right, he always finds a way to take the position that advantages the left at the expense of the right while pretending to be the real conservative. And I find that particularly gross. Just just, just speaking for myself with that. I, yeah, I, 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 I like David, right? I don't have a personal problem with it. I just disagree with what he's doing right now. I think that he is super sensitive to anything that goes on the right, goes on on the right. 
blows up things that go on the right beyond the proportion they should be and uh, is very forgiving of things that go on on the left that I think that he should find, let's say, an abortion, that he should find odious. And uh, so, you know, I mean, that's just I'm I'm not trying to pick on him. I just no, I'm not. I wasn't. I was just speaking for myself. I mean, I think what he's doing is awful. I mean, and and, and it's upsetting to me because I think he knows better. And I think that for a man who pretends to care so much about principle, and that's why he had his beef with Trump, he's let his personal stuff, and he's not alone here, but he's let his personal stuff completely cloud his judgment about what this, what, what conservatism is trying to conserve, right? I mean, and anyway, so I, that, that just sort of struck a nerve with me because he's part of this never-Trumper chorus that now we see there's no Trump anymore, and somehow there's always still an explanation that, makes that that says what the left is doing isn't really that bad. And the real problem are the people on the right that are fighting against this. And and it, it, it bothers me. I find it as somebody who also works in this medium and writes and does radio. I find those never Trumpers to be uh, this is like a mental illness now. I mean, they, they need to get past it. They, they I thought they were supposed to come back on the team now, David, and a lot of them. Not really back on the team, really doing a lot of good work. You know, it's like the Lincoln Project phenomenon. I mean, it's really not much better than that from some of these guys. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not not even him, but, you know, Bulwark, whatever folks. I mean, they're just Democrats now, and I'm not sure why we have to pretend otherwise. Is it? De- Listen, I know a lot of people don't like Trump, and that's fine by me. I didn't like a lot of what he did either. But the problem is that if you're more offended by his, you know, you're still talking about him now as if he's some, you know, he, you're obsessed with him and you're not talking about people in power with guns, with policies, with uh, executive orders. Um you know, that that to me shows that you, it's not it's just about, you know, it's about that you don't like guys who wear American flag shirts and you, you don't like guys who drive yes. pickup trucks. Correct. And uh, and and if that's if it's a thing for you, it's people with guns that you don't like, then then you're not really a conservative anymore. You can be something else, but you're not part of the main uh, thrust of what conservatism is about today. And that's, you know, you don't have to be. But let's not pretend we're speaking to David Harsani, senior writer at National Review and David, uh, the. The uh, Elon Musk, I, I was I tuned in for just a, a minute or two because it was Elon Musk and I happened to be, you know, at, at home uh, or not at home. I happened to be in a, you know, in a hotel room with nothing else going on late at night. And so I threw on SNL for a second. And I first first of all, it's 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 shockingly bad as just a comedic enterprise. Right. I mean, I, I it's amazing to me that NBC puts this on TV and, and isn't embarrassed by it. But even beyond that. For comedians, I mean, Dave Chappelle has has said no one is woke enough because, you know, you Elon Musk, Elon Musk isn't some dogmatic conservative right winger or anything. He just doesn't always toe the left wing line. There were SNL people complaining about him guest hosting like this is a big issue for them. This guy's like a genius who some people think is changing the world. SNL is lucky that he spits in their general direction, but he's not woke enough. Hey, probably. I mean, I haven't seen the ratings. I assume they're pretty good. I find it funny that you have to make excuses for you why you watch it because it's terrible, right? I yes. mean, it's like I I have to say I didn't watch it. I don't care enough. Usually, I'll see watch if there's something like this. I'll, I'll watch the clips later on YouTube or whatever. But um, I sort of like him because he doesn't care what people. I never could understand why a billionaire would ever care what anyone was telling him to say or not say. I mean, money for me is the freedom to, to be who you are, right, and say the things you want to. That's security. Um, but and and he stopped caring. And I like that about him. But that show, I haven't watched it in so many years. I haven't, I just don't find it funny. I, you know, I haven't found it funny for a long time. I don't even know who's on in the cast <laughs> yeah, now. It's, it's trash. <laughs> so um, 
I didn't watch it, but it is. It, I do find it funny that these guys, you know, you, you could have on the furthest left wing person imaginable, right? You can have on the craziest person, they'd be fine with it. But but Elon Musk is doing all these incredible things. You know, sometimes I don't like that he takes a lot of government money to do it, but whatever. You know, he's doing all these amazing things. This is the problem for you. DavidArsaniNationalReview.com for his latest. David, thanks so much, man. Talk to you soon. Anytime. Thank you. And is it hurting America's pandemic recovery? That word, uh, foxitis, it was coined by a lawyer defending one of the suspects in the pro-Trump riot. It's almost a Fox News made me do it kind of defense. Fox mania, the lawyer said. He said his, law, his client lost his job due to the pandemic and then watched Fox constantly for the next six months. Quote, he believed what was being fed to him. Indeed, many Fox viewers came away with a distinct impression that President Trump was robbed, that the election was rigged. But that is just one of the symptoms of foxitis. Other possible symptoms are fear of the unknown, fear of a diversifying America, anger about cancel culture, but only when conservatives are affected. Belief that Democrats and news outlets and tech firms are all radical villains. Perhaps one of the symptoms is even the ability to forget what you've seen with your own eyes. <laughs> this guy is the most sort of slimy and pathetic of all cable news hosts in, in so many ways. It's amazing. Ugh, is Perhaps it means you care about the cancel culture, except when it only affects your side. Really? Who are the... Who are the leftists who have been canceled over doing nothing? You know, who are the people that, that you point to that have been canceled on the left? I just want to know that didn't do something that was truly awful. right? Who, who is, you know, other than like people that were, you know, Democrat darlings who turned out to be rapists or, you know, abusers of, of young children or something. Who has been canceled on the left? I just want to know. Yeah. Oh, but what happens to our side, too? Big tech or villains, not big tech, or are suppressive authoritarians who have created a political monoculture mono where you have to be left wing or else you're evil. Yes, that, that is what they've done. And they've shut down. This is real. This is reality. Maybe if CNN allowed people on the right to go and actually present the case of people on the right on air, they would have some idea of what the, what the heck the other side thinks about. But they couldn't do that because... People like me, and it's not just me, it's not about me, there are a lot of others out there, a lot of conservatives, we'd wipe the floor with these fools if we actually were given airtime to make the case about issues like this. Do you think, do you think that Brian Stelter could handle someone like me in a debate? I mean, he, by the way, he's not even, he's third tier even for the libs, but I'm just saying, think about all the other, all the other conservatives you put in there. I mean, I could rattle off 30 conservatives off the top of my head that none of the CNN hosts could handle in an actual debate. On any of these issues, that's why they, they work for a legacy media institution that is just, you know, coasting on on what had been done before they came on board. And they have an you know enormous institutional advantage over a lot of startup media. And so that's why they keep pushing this stuff. But I just think it's funny. I just I always like to take a moment. You know, Brian, it's good that Brian Stelter exists because we have a, a person who is like the equivalent of like just a piece of rolled up, you know, uh, rolled up dough who goes on TV. Is like, oh, Fox News is evil. Here's a question. Why does why does Brian Stelter have a television show? The answer, he looks like Jeff Zucker and Jeff Zucker gets to run CNN like his little fiefdom. That's why. So it's not a fair world we live in, folks. I can t- I can tell you that much. 
Hawks. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark, what's up, man? How you doing, buddy? How was your weekend? Tell everybody what's going on. Uh, I'm hanging in there. A bit exhausted. Long weekend. Yeah, what'd you do? Uh, well, Tell ba- everybody. Basically, uh, my wife and I have a storage unit in New Jersey, and we uh, had to move it to Long Island by ourselves with a U-Haul. So that that wasn't fun. Moving stuff always takes more time, more effort, and is more stressful than anticipated. That's what I found out. Yes. How, whatever you think it will be, it's worse than that. Yeah, just and just doing it yourself too. Like I'm not going to hire movers just to you know move a storage unit. So I did it myself, and it was just it's just a lot. Well, it's because but you got uh, exciting stuff coming up here. We're we're hoping we're going to get producer more closing on a house sometime this week. Yes, a condo. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have house money, Buck, but uh, I have condo yeah, condo money. money. You know what I mean, right? A home. Yes. Yeah. So hopefully, sometime this week uh, we'll be closing. It's just a matter of you know getting uh, the schedules worked out at this point. So nothing. Hopefully, nothing bad can happen. You never know, though. Very nice. Two bedroom. Two bedrooms. You got room for a little Mark, a little Mark Junior, or a little Marquette. No comment. Yeah, just say it. I plead just the fifth. A little, little bit of space. A little bit of space there. A little space is very. Or, or just when we're doing a late night, uh, you know, late night tape session because of the crazy news cycle. You know, I mean, maybe Buck just passes out in the guest bedroom one night. You know what I mean? Yeah, even though we have technology that we haven't seen each other in over a year, but yeah, sure. If, yeah, if you needed that, theoretically, sure. I'm saying I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the meantime, do you get? Does Mrs. Mark give approval for this to be set up like a man cave? The extra bedroom? No, I, I actually planned on. I said, "Oh, great! I'm going to have an office. Wonderful." Yeah, she she doesn't like that. Nah, nah. Because what's the point of me setting up an office and then you know who knows how long down the line it's not an office anymore? Yeah, well, from what I understand, a crib takes up a lot of room in your office. Uh, I believe it would take up quite a lot of room. And I think you wouldn't like to do the show based on a baby's sleep schedule. Yes, Uh, I don't think you would like that very much. That would also be a challenge, I would say. That would be a challenge, a challenge for sure. You're a very understanding person, but I, I don't think you're that understanding. No, no, I am not. That would be that would be a difficult thing, difficult thing to handle. You know, my little sister, I, I have a nephew. Ryan, his name is Ryan. I call him Baby Ryan because he's a baby, and uh, he is uh, six months old. And I got to say, it's so much fun. And whenever I go over, he just he just wants to like giggle and pull my beard and it's just so fun to see this little human who's developing all the time and and learning more stuff and and i would say to my sister oh this is amazing she's like yeah you don't have to get up at 4 a.m and 5 a.m and 7 a.m and you know and i'm like oh yeah that that sounds rough for all the parents out there i really mean this for all the parents listening to this show i don't know how you do it i don't i don't know how you do it you know i i love tallulah the french bulldog but i gotta say Great to visit, uh, but having had her for a whole year, I I don't spend as much, um, you know, I don't spend as much time, uh, you know, these days work dealing with that as I was. And it, even a, a dog is a lot, and that's a canine, not actually a human being, is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, dogs are a lot. Baby, uh, uh, here's how I know babies are a lot. I obviously do not have one, and I don't will not have one uh, for a little bit of time, but. Uh, my friend, my uh, wife's friends just had a baby, and we visited them for the first time. I actually held a baby for the first time this weekend, and they just look so tired. 
Like you, you have you ever noticed that when somebody has a newborn, they just look it. You can you don't even have to speak to them. You, all you have to do is look at them, and you know. Oh, I can feel their fatigue. Yeah, exactly. I could yeah. feel my little sister's fatigue when I went over, especially those first couple of months after she had the baby. You know, and and she's she's rock solid. I mean, she works super hard. She's a lawyer, and you know, she's really she's really on her game all the time. But man, a lot of a lot of stress and and lost sleep and stuff from. You know, you have this little tiny human you have to you have to keep healthy and happy. You know, it's a lot. So yeah, at least a dog will like tell you when it's hungry. Like a baby's not going to do that. You have yeah. to be on top of that. The other the other side of the equation in terms of responsibility is definitely being in downtown Nashville uh, for the weekend with the Snow Princess and and hearing they have these buses that drive around. It's it's a bus, but it's like the bus. The top of the 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 sort of roof of the bus is gone. Or, or the bus is kind of open air, if that makes sense. Uh, the way, like a, almost like a trolley car, maybe or something. And it, it, these buses just drive around, Mark, playing the loudest country and hip hop music you've ever heard in your life. While uh, bachelorette parties, of course, all wearing cowboy hats, are all going woo and just drinking their faces off all day long, all over the place. Don't they that- have hot tubs in the trucks too? Yes, I yeah. didn't see a hot tub version, but I've heard about that. Yes, they do have them. But I saw just all these. And they have these ones also where you have to pedal and, you know, to make the thing go. So you got 30 people or something that are all pedaling, sitting at a mobile bar that looks like a bus, but they're powering it by pedaling. And I'm just telling you, you know, if I'm taking shots of Jose Cuervo and listening to Britney Spears, I don't know if I want to be pedaling you know what i'm saying yeah i wouldn't go with the pedaling one i would definitely go with the being driven around one but that actually sounds fun yeah no people people love it i mean it's it's big Uh, apparently nashville is the bachelorette capital of the country now yes um it's where more people go for their bachelor parties than anywhere else and yeah it's 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 a thing it's a thing that people really really enjoy so there were a lot of ladies and i'm also just not used to seeing a pack of 10 to 15 ladies at a time one after another, just stumbling drunk. And I will tell you this, and I might get in a little trouble, Bruce Mark. They can be kind of loud. So, like, when you're at a restaurant or you're walking down the street, all of a sudden they're just, oh, my gosh, did you see this guy? Oh, my God. And this is like all, they're all their voices. I think it's when they get enough SoCo and Lime shots. The bachelorette party girls' voices go up like, uh, 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 I don't know how many decibels. You know more about audio than I do, but many decibels. You know, I mean, very I'm loud. Just, did you expect to go to Nashville for like a quiet, fun time? No, we just wanted to go and, you know, just have a weekend there yeah. and just get away from the city for a little bit. Oh, we had a great, by the way, the food's amazing. The people are super nice. You Have you been to Nashville? I haven't, but I've heard it's an awesome party city. It is an awesome party city. Yes, that is true. Um, no, look, I, 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 we had a great time. It was really nice. We stayed in downtown and there's all these cute neighborhoods that we went to just to sort of, you know, I like to go to local coffee shops and you know, go to some funky restaurants and just sort of see how people live in different parts of, of other cities. Um, Nashville's a great town, a uh, great town. And I, I really recommend if anyone who hasn't been recently or has never been, definitely go check it out. Uh, just cause what I did just take a weekend there, weekend vacation, um, it's a great week. Nashville, Savannah, Charleston, Austin are the best weekend vacation cities I've been to in the States. I got to say. Um, so th- those are all really great, great place to go check out. But oh no, just the bachelorette party thing specifically. I mean, these girls, 
They show up to party, my friend. They're not messing around. Uh, of course they do. I mean, you, you only have a bachelorette party once, hypothetically, so might as well have yep. fun. That's true. All right, let's get to some actual roll call here. Where if you want to write in, just go to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, send us a message. message. Uh, you can also email us, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. We got Jeremiah. He writes in with the first here. Buck, you've been talking lately about conservatism, what it means to be conservative. Rush used to say that conservatism has a branding issue, and I agree. Part of the problem is the word conservative itself, especially contrasted with liberal. One implies open to change and freedom. The other implies old and close to change. For example, one look at the conservative party in Britain, which is for preserving British traditions. Patriarchal religious societies in the Middle East are referred to as conservative. I understand that our using of the term comes from wanting to conserve the Constitution, but when you think about people who work to conserve resources or nature, we call them conservationists. Those who work to conserve literature or art collections are called conservators. So I think we have a branding issue. Calling ourselves conservative implies being old, stodgy, backward, and resistant to change. As Rush once said, we need to redefine what being conservative means, and I think that only happens by completely rebranding ourselves. You know, Jeremiah, I, I agree. I think that you're onto something here, and, and I've felt this way for a long time. And as you know, I complain about this, and it may seem like getting into the minutiae, but I think that it's a real loss that we have, uh, that, that our color as conservatives is red when it should, it should be blue. And, and more to the point, liberals in this country are the reds, they're the socialists, they're the left, and they're not liberal. They're not about liberty. They're about state control. They're about the collective defining and demanding of and ordering around the individual. So they are anti-liberty, but it would be like the crazy party calling themselves the sane party. Well, we're the sane party, so how do you think we're crazy? It throws you off. These things matter. Politics is, is first and foremost, really just a, a function of perception, right? If you can get pe enough people to believe something, it doesn't matter what's really true in terms of politics. Uh, you can get what you want, meaning the people that are being disingenuous the people that are engaged in propaganda so i i like i've always thought that on the right we should embrace more the idea of patriotism and you know the patriot party why do we we give them liberty to use in their why can't we say that we are the party of patriotism so when trump brought that up recently i know he's not the first one to ever think of this but i i like that idea patriotism goes with america first patriotism goes with with the notion that there's something about loving America that sh that should be a standard part of being an American. Because I, th I think you see this quite clearly. The left does not love America. They love what they think they could turn America into if they had full control. But they have a lot of disdain for this place, not just for its history, but for its present as well, and for you and me for opposing them in all of this. So I, I do believe... Uh, that, that we have a, a bit of a, a branding issue. And, you know, just the notion that the right has is often used, you know, right wing kind of has this, ooh, someone's right wing. No, we should we should embrace these terms and use them. You know, right wing is something we should be proud of. You know, right wing shouldn't be something that has this connotation of, ooh, extreme. Why is right wing extreme? Left wing they don't think of as extreme. 
It, it is, but they don't think of it that way. The media certainly doesn't. The, uh, the Democrat Party doesn't view it in that context. So we'd, we could use a re, uh, some help with our branding and our terminology. I mean, I just want to, I, I feel like the, the unifying characteristic, uh, characteristics of people who are conservative in America today are those who, who see things for what they are and those who approach everything with some humility. I, I feel like those are two characteristics of a of the con, of conservatives in America today. We just try to see things with with what they are, not what, what we wish they were, what we think government could make them into, not based on what are what are the accepted narratives. Thinking for if you think for yourself and you approach important questions from the existential all the way down to the you know the local government feud. If you think for yourself and you approach things with humility, you're a conservative in America today. And that's that's how I think we we have most uh, that that's how I think we could define a lot of the separation. Um, if you go with the group, the collective, go with the fads, the trends and and think you have all the answers and anybody who disagrees with you is a bad person, you're a liberal. And which is a bad term for them. They're leftists. So you, I've been saying this for years. You can go back to the Buck Sexton show, the earliest days. I've said, I've complained about it and said that we should, you know, we used to call them progressives on the show, call them authoritarians, leftists. They are not liberals. And calling them that gives them, uh, gives them credit that they do not deserve based on their ideologies, their beliefs, the way that they would, the way that they govern their actions too. So, Jeremiah, clearly you struck a chord with me. I I agree, and and I think this is a a work in progress that we have to really address. All right, more roll call. Michael writes, hey, producer Mark and Buck, I used to work at Heinz Field at PNC Park. I do not think there was a jail in either. The cops would either walk the person out or just take them to the county jail, which is very close. Uh, Producer Mark, where's where's Heinz Field and what's PNC Park? Those are the uh, football and baseball stadiums in Pittsburgh, respectively. Ah, okay. Yeah, we said Philadelphia, to be fair, So when we were talking about this. The I, Eagles. I think he was just talking in general uh, stadium jails. Okay, but yeah. I think there is a Philadelphia stadium courthouse thing. Yeah, uh, I, I think, think a lot of stadiums have them. Some do, some don't. I guess it's the, all right. dependent oh, oh, on so, yeah, so he So he's not saying we were wrong on that. He's just saying, um, yeah, Eagles court... Still exists. Okay, but they moved it. It's not at Lincoln Financial Field. It's 11th and Wharton Streets in in Philadelphia. Okay. So they did have um, some kind of... Here we go. Does the Eagles Stadium really have its own jail? Yes. The Philadelphia Eagles originally had a jail and a courtroom built in Veterans Stadium in the late 90s to deal with rowdy fans. Uh, so yes, that is true. When Lincoln Financial Field was built, it was also built with a holding cell like its predecessor had installed, but it has been shuttered. Okay, so they had them, but some of them have been shut down. But they did they do exist in some places. Okay, I just want to check, make sure. Well, We're all about the facts here, Producer Mark. You need them in places like Philadelphia. Look at him. Look at him poke. Folks, I can't, I can't stop him. Producer Mark's running wild here, poking Philly, Philly sports fans. I can't, I can't shut it down. There, I don't know what to tell you. There's no other fan base that threw snowballs at Santa Claus. That's all I'm saying. He's just, he, you know what I mean? Producer Mark is a wild man here. He's just telling all you Philly sports fans what's what. So I, I don't know what to tell you. 
Funny story, Michael writes, I was once waiting for the freight elevator and the cops had a drunk, rowdy guy in it. They said to him, we can either walk you out of here like a man or drag you out like a blank. We weren't permitted to get on the elevator when the cops had someone, so I never did find out what decision the drunk guy made. Shields high. Well, good to know. Good to know. Thank you. Steven writes, Buck, Mark, thanks for holding strong in what you do. The past year highlighted more clearly than ever the left and the ruling elites do not care about telling the truth. They only care to say whatever they believe will cajole or scare or, scare or threaten the masses into doing what the elites think is best for their own good. This fits right into the general ethos of the right and the left. The left will point to a lack of perfection anywhere as falling short of a possible shared utopia under their rule, all while denying the inherent goodness and potential of people as individuals. The right accepts that men are flawed and perfection can never be achieved while still valuing trusting in the goodness in the individual. Stephen, excellent, eloquent. Thank you for writing in. Team, that's the show for today. Back tomorrow, same time, same place. Shields high.